Hey, Dennis, now I'm in Spain. I'm not going to ask you about the weather because uh, I got shit for that last time, which I, which I should. I don't really like uh, like this typical small talk stuff. But it's usually a good thing when you're in the Mediterranean because the weather is usually much better than, than over where you are. Uh, but in Malta, where I stayed, the weather was pretty bad if we started with the weather anyway. And now I'm in Spain and we've had three nice days of sunshine. Uh, but I know you're going to give me shit for not going to the Davis Cup because the weather was too good. Uh, so uh, I couldn't couldn't be fast and I didn't play for four or five days and now I played four days in a row so that's I, I prefer playing from watching <laughs> so hi everyone hi Jonas because we, we talked about it that I always call you Jonas and I thought it was uh, the Swedish pronunciation of your name but we haven't actually uh, talked about it I thought that I'm gonna be cute with saying your name right and and uh, I didn't so I do apologize for you and for all the listeners uh-huh. Uh, those, it's actually so pretty it close, like because if you're gonna say it the Swedish way, you say Jonas, but it's it's like more. I mean, I lived in the states, I lived in Malta. You have Jonas, you have Jonas, you have uh, Jonas, you have everything, you know. So I'm I'm like I'm used to this. I'm I'm still not gonna call you Jonas because it's just yeah. But, but so okay, so the J is uh yeah yeah but in I, Swedish. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. Okay, so I'm I'm not. A hundred. No, no, no. You're good. From yeah, you're good. Okay, okay. All For right. example, like in, so, in Spain, like they it will be Jonas, you know, because like you have yes. J Jota, you know, so it's oh, a bit Jonas, Jonas. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> to put to put the the brand into your name as well, which is actually uh, Homa is is doing really really well. I mean, if you, if you look at all the uh, like Pablo Carreño Busta and Ramos Vinales and all those guys, he, they're like Homa is 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 making waves. So so yeah. Uh, you could maybe uh, do a, a brand called uh, Honas. Yeah, that's my next next thing. Actually, Nikki, we went. We've been out uh, having some beers for the World Cup, and not World Cup in tennis, uh, but World Cup in football, which is going on at the same time. And he ha- he was stringing for the Spanish team. Sadly, they only lasted one match at the finals. They lost in the quarterfinals, but he was stringing for them, and he got this snazzy Homa Davis Cup jacket with España on it. So uh, we I, he wore that yesterday, just to show off. But it was actually a pretty pretty nice because uh, Homa is not like a brand in the rest of Europe, at least not being you know Swedish or living in Malta for a long time. It's not like a brand you think about a lot, like uh, you know you, you see a lot. It's very Spanish, it feels like. Um, no? In Hungary, it's a bit different because um, you you get like I remember from my childhood, Homa was massive in um, like indoor football, so like futsal. So you've got you've got a lot of boots which they make and they're really really high quality. So it's uh, I think it's all about that really. Um, but now they um, so the guy who I used to work for and I'm not gonna give him a lot of uh, positives. So I would just say that I used to work for a guy who brought in a few brands to Hungary, uh, namely Vocal um, or Focal as as uh, the Germans say it and Homa as well. And um, to be fair, Homa is a really, really high quality, good brand. So, I mean, high quality. Yeah, it's a good brand. Let's put it this way. So it's like, you know, good quality, nice stuff. Their shoes look if- exceptional. And and to be fair, I mean, I would definitely try their their tennis shoes. I haven't tried it yet because like a few years ago, I remember, I don't know, 10 plus years ago when they when um, when um, a, a pair of tennis shoes, someone showed me and it looked good. But you you were like, yeah, but you know, they're football boots. Like like why would you why would you wear football boots on a tennis court? But now, you know, you see all these these Spanish players and, and quite a few of them 
were in coma and um and they are good good players like you know Karen Yubusta was I think he was in the top 10 so you know if you think about it that or 15 or whatever his best ranking was and I think they can be one of the biggest brands in terms of like what they produce and and where they're from because I think they're around from Madrid or something I remember that when I was thinking about moving to Spain I wanted to to ask if if there's a sponsorship or like an account management job with Homa because it would have been so nice to to work with these guys and and if you if you look at quite a few few players they as I said you know the Spanish Spanish top top players they they use Homa and uh, nice stuff so yeah um, back to what you said about the Davis Cup yeah well I would have gone. Felix was playing, Dennis was playing, Musetti was playing, just to name a few guys who really like to watch. And you just chose tennis instead. What can I say? I'm not going to give you uh, any shit because I'm like, you know, I, I have already done it and I don't, <laughs> don't want to over push it because I still want to carry on with, with our podcast weekly. So I, <laughs> I don't want to be too... Uh, too offensive over that one but what I can say is that you know I'm I'm uh, I do appreciate that you wanted to play tennis and I've seen how good the weather was down there so I do hate you for that but (laughs) I I do get it why you didn't want to do it I would have done it otherwise let's put it this way shall we talk about the Davis Cup then now that you haven't gone yeah, no, 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 no. Sorry, everyone who was uh, looking forward to some in-depth detail reports. And all my friends went uh, in some days, but it was before I came. And uh, before I, I move into that, like I, my journey here uh, was unusually, uh, you know, horrendous. Uh, usually it's, it's just fine. You go from Malta uh, to Barcelona and you wait usually two or three hours. You change planes and you go here. It takes uh, like half a day, but it's not too bad. A, year, a few years back, it was uh, direct to from Malta to um, to Malaga, but now they they stopped it some years back after COVID. And in my flight with Welling, uh, which is usually fine, you know, it's the local Spanish airline, like Homa of uh, of airlines. But that was not the best day in their their Welling life. So I was three hours. There was three hours of delay in Malta, and uh, no information at all. So no idea if I was gonna take off that day or if I was gonna be moved somewhere else. And then finally, they said, okay, now you have to board ASAP. Then we boarded the plane, and then we sat on the plane for 30, 40 minutes with nothing happening. And then they said, like, they had an engine issue that was hopefully resolved, which was good because you don't want to (laughs) die when you're flying. So then we took off, but I had no chance of making the connection. All the other flights were fully booked. So without asking, they just put me on a flight to Granada, which is a completely different city, about one and a half, two hours away from Malaga. And uh, and then they had like a cab service from Malaga, but that was unsure. So my parents, uh, who live in in uh, Marbella for for six months now, they were kind enough to come and pick me up from the airport in uh, in Granada, which is completely off. And then I had to go pick up my rental car and try to get my bags, and they were bags were not there. So yeah, it was it was a long day. I got my bags the next day. I was in my apartment at nine thirty, starting at seven thirty in the morning. So it took a whole day of uh, uncertainty so i think that pretty much killed my energy to uh, do anything but sit in the sun or play tennis so that that's my excuse but we can move on to the davis cup which is more interesting than my travel adventures but that was not a good one team canada just amazing like they um they were favorites i think in a way beforehand i i had them as a part of favorite i think we discussed that me you and me dennis right 
and because they won the ATP I, I haven't agreed. I haven't agreed, so I have to give you a lot of praise for uh, for picking Canada. I didn't think they're gonna pull through, but look, you know, you you got it right. As I said, you know, we we should be absolutely living from betting now. So so you know, almost every week we get the final results pretty well. So now we should be or charging the listeners if they actually do do follow <laughs> our betting advice. Yeah, it's true. Good point. No, but the only reason I thought like it felt like the field was pretty open. There was no team that like since Spain didn't have Alcaraz, they didn't have Nadal. It felt like their team was decent, but it wasn't really spot on. I think we both agree that the U.S. team looks super strong with Fritz and Tiafo and, and everything. But there is something about the U.S. team spirit in recent years, I think. I mean, maybe it's never been so strong as some of the other teams. Like Australia, they would love to win the Davis Cup again. So they're really like they have Leighton Hewitt, who's the biggest Davis Cup fan. Uh, he's not such, such a huge fan of the current format, uh, but he's still pumping the team up enough to reach the final. But then those Canadian uh, youngsters, like they, the way they won the ATP Cup, and the way Philly Felix has been playing this year, I think it was one of the reasons why I thought they could win it. And and they didn't even like flinch. They last match, the final match, uh, both of the singles matches, they won them, and then that was over. So uh, yeah, big ups for for Canada and their performance. Yeah, what I can say is that Dennis wasn't really playing well. I even touched it that he was in the Maldives with uh, his girlfriend, uh, Miriam Birklund. The, the weird part with all this is, is that Felix just, just actually could demolish everyone and even get Dennis on his back. And, and um, what we didn't know, and we haven't, we haven't actually thought about it that uh, Pospisil was there and he's an amazing doubles player. He's a multiple uh, Grand Slam champion in doubles. So he, he played with both Dennis and Felix as well. And I think they won all of their doubles because otherwise, yeah, I think they, they have because otherwise they would have lost. So they beat the Fognini-Bolelli uh, pairing in the semis, which is a pretty, pretty decent uh, result because uh, Fognini and Bolelli, they just uh, literally beat everyone else. So it's, it's, it's pretty decent. The thing that, that confused me and my friend was watching this match was that, I mean, Bolelli and Fognini, we've talked about them. They're a super doubles pairing and you follow doubles quite, quite closely. But the thing was that they put Berrettini instead of Bulelli for some reason. And Berrettini, I think he wasn't playing because he has some small injury or there's something going on that he, you know, prevents him from playing singles matches. And they put him in the doubles with uh, Fognini uh, instead of Bulelli then. And I don't know if Bulelli was injured or what was happening, but they're what, so used to which, playing which together. Which match was that? Which, which match was that? When Against they lost to, to Canada. Was it? I, yeah. I, I thought it, I thought it was actually uh, Bolelli and Fignini, but I, I just sort of looked at it and I was quite surprised. But you might be right. Um, I, I haven't looked, but to be fair, Berrettini, and it's and it's a surprise because he's actually a pretty good volleyer, but somehow he's not a really good doubles player. I don't think he actually understands the whole physics or the whole basics of how to move because because doubles as as we talked about it many times it's more about positioning than anything else obviously those guys are unreal at the net and all that but it's just a weird one that Bertini who should be crushing everyone in doubles because he has like you know a hammer at the forehand and you know his volleys are pretty decent and uh, and his serve is unreal he should be beating everyone um 
and Mekdic Bovic was there. Uh, they won a few matches, I think. So Croatia did really well, but Chorich was playing well, Cilic was playing well. So, you know, all those guys uh, actually, you know, if you think about it, Chorich, Cilic and Mekdic Bovic is a top tier team. So there's not, there's not a lot which can go wrong with those guys. Uh, they lost in the semis uh, to Australia, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Yeah, no, and, and I, uh, I, I I did double check the Fognini Berrettini because uh, yeah, and no, and they did lose seven six seven five to Pospisil Aliasim, so the, the Pospisil Chapovalo was gonna play, so they changed that up to Aliasim, and Bolelli Fognini was supposed to play, but they changed to Berrettini. I don't know if it could be Bolelli was not feeling himself like, but it was a weird choice because Berrettini was not playing singles, not playing doubles before that, so it was his first match. I mean, he did okay. Obviously, they lost a tight one, but it was still weird because Polelli and Fognini, they're best friends, kind of, and play all the time. So I think that was strange. Yeah, yeah it is. It is a weird choice, and uh, uh, I didn't. I, I mean, I I think what what might have confused me, obviously, if you just look at it on your phone, uh, Berrettini and Bolelli is is kind of similar in terms of like obviously both start with B. They're sort of the same length. Obviously, Berrettini is longer and all that. And you just look at it and you're like, oh, okay, they lost. So I, I haven't I haven't noticed that, um, and it's a weird choice. It really is because uh, Fognini Bolelli is a top ten doubles pairing. So you know it, it's like obviously you've got um, you know I can I can just go on and on about doubles, but but um, you know Fognini and Bolelli, it's a weird choice. Why not play them together? Uh, one of my friends he messaged me because he's um, he's living around in in Marbella actually, and he's a really good tennis player. I will hook you up with him. Cool and. Um, and he was saying that um, that he had never seen anyone this good as Bolelli and Fognini together, and it's and it's such a compliment as well because the guy's a good player. He he has seen many many matches, and and he had seen the um, United States against them, and it was Tommy Paul and Jack Sock, and we know what Jack Sock is capable of, and and we know the loose wrists of of Tommy Paul as well. So it's a it's a strange one in, in many ways that um, I mean we we all know how good that Italian pairing is. I'm not going to say their name for the 47th time, but it's still a bit of a weird one because like on hard court you would I would have picked in a way Jack Sock with anyone. Yeah. Um, and 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 I feel like it's a weird one to put Tommy Paul because I think if if Tiafoe would have played with Sock. Uh, who we all know literally sent Federer retiring, right? That pairing beat them in their last match. So it was Sock TFO. So if, yeah, it was a Labour Cup, but it was still a proper match. So uh, so it's, it's a bit of a strange one that they haven't played together and Tommy Paul did. And as much as I rate Tommy Paul, he's still not a big moments guy. So I think... I think as as much as I as I like him, he's he's not gonna win these clutch things, and and that was the same with Kokinakis. Kokinakis is a good player, but there was so much on his shoulders that he lost so easily and straight against. Um, I I don't even know. I, I might have started Jordan Thompson instead, to be fair, because I yeah. think um, JT would have just you know he he's he's such an energetic guy. And Kokinakis as well, but Kokinakis definitely has some, some, I wouldn't say issues, but you know how it is. It's just a weird one with Kokinakis. He's a great player. He has everything, but he had those injuries and, and he's still trying to find himself. 
obviously Nick is helping him a lot. They they had a lot of uh, victories together, and you know they won the the obviously the the Aussie Open together in doubles and all that. So it's great, but. We could see it against Mektic Pavic last week in the O2. Uh, sorry, not the O2 because it's not there anymore. In Turin, <laughs> uh, that they uh, they played together, and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't really convincing. Nick was playing well, but Kokinakis was was the worst out of the four. He was the weakest link, as 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 they called him um, in the uh, British TV or whatever Amazon Prime it was on. So yeah, it, it's it's a strange one because Deminor he is absolutely pumped whenever he's playing um the, the, all these uh, davis cups and i think he just he he sort of had to overplay uh so that's why he didn't have a chance against felix because he just you know felix we all know what autumn felix had it was ridiculous it was it, like you know he lost twice he won like i don't know 25 matches so if you think about it felix was definitely red hot and they really wanted it. And this is the first time Canada won the Davis Cup ever. Um, and and it's a funny comparison as well. I've seen a picture that they won the Junior Davis Cup and now they won the Senior one. The same guys, obviously, Pospisil is, is a lot older than those guys. But he was, he was great. And Pospisil actually won a challenger before he went to the Davis Cup to play doubles. So he was in a really good form as well. And now I think he's pretty close to coming back to the top 100. I never really liked his style in singles because he's he's just too static for me. But in doubles, he is unreal. He has a great serve, forehand, backhand volleys. He knows how to move. They won uh, quite a few with sock. I think at least two um, uh, slams, and 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 he's he's a really good player. And I think after he was maybe playing with Michael Venus, uh, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. But but it's it's. You know, Pospisil is a great doubles player. So I think now looking back to it, I think uh, Canada was just a level above everyone. And that's how they could actually close it out this easily against um, against Australia. Yeah, I think that that is the the reason as well. And there seem to be a bit of ups and downs in other teams. I mean, we know Felix and uh, Dennis, they've known each other for a long time. So they are very tight, even if it's just they're not playing doubles, but they just as a team, they are... Uh, pretty steady, I would say, and and the Canadians seem to have a very good team spirit. So I think uh, the interesting part of, of the U.S. team was the nomination of the, putting that Tommy Paul in there instead of like Rajiv Ram for the doubles, which was a bit strange because he's number world world number one in doubles, and they got a lot of criticism for the nomination. Uh, but then you know they also responded that yeah, that's that's smart fish decision, and you know it's what's what it is, but. But you can look in, in hindsight and say maybe that was not the, the right decision. They tried, obviously, but it seemed like this was Canada's year as a team tennis uh, nation. And it was really, uh, you know, Ali Asim's year. But, I mean, four titles. He won the ATP Cup. He won the Davis Cup. Just an amazing year. Uh, and, you know, what, what do you think? Do you think Tony Nadal has uh, some credit there in, to that massive improvement in, in at least winning? You know, he's always been a potential, uh, you know, superpower in tennis but now he's finally actually winning stuff one one has to obviously like positively argue for nadal i mean tony nadal um he's a great coach so you know we we we've seen we talked about it many times what he did with with baby rafa and then and then um um later rafa just became the best ever arguably um and 
and yeah, I, I think so. What what I can just see in Felix is that now he sort of gave his um, good guy demeanor away in a good way that he just started to be a bit of a badass on court, like you know, come oning whenever and and you know, like just fist bumping and all this. So I think he he definitely improved in every way because because he was a bit too. He was a bit too calm, wasn't he? Like when even he, when he was hitting like 15 doubles because he had problems with his second serve, which now disappeared because his first serve is one of the best in tour now. Um, and, and you can just see how he, how he moves around the court is good. And, and it really suits him to, to play indoors as we talked about it with his extreme grip and how he hits his forehand, hits his backhand. It's it's a lot of wrist movement, and if and if his uh, movement is not right, then you know it's it's just um it's just a weird one. But what I can say is is Felix is destined for big things next year, um, and and I and I really hope so that Dennis is up for big things next year. But I I will stand by my my um, sort of prediction that I think Dennis will have a career like Vavrinka. He will have two slams in his career where he will be lights out and he can actually win a slam. Um, it's, it's, it's hard to see. Zverev will be back next year, which is also an interesting one. And I don't really know if Zverev will be a force to reckon with uh, because he has limitations in his game and like volleys and, you know, the, the soft touch and, and this and that, which Rune and, and Alcaraz both have. So, and and why I wanted to, to say it, because I believe Chapo has a better chance of winning the slam than Zverev. I might not be the most popular by saying this, but but I think over two weeks, if Chapo really gets his game going for two weeks, he can actually win it. But he would need a Magnus Norman figure in his camp. And I think usually is actually a pretty decent choice. And I've seen, and we talked about it, that usually was back at his camp. But now he's gone again, so I don't really know what's happening. Maybe Eugenie said that he doesn't want to travel um, that much, which can be the case. Um, but I, I sort of feel like Chapeau can have a good year. Maybe not next year, but maybe he will have um, – because he has the game as, as – like, literally, his game is the most natural um, out of all. And now that he found his, um, his racket um, – which is supposed to be the new V-Core 95, uh, which is in blacked out form as we talked about it. Um, is it 1620 what that has? Yeah, that's pattern? a 1620. Yeah, it's it's the 95 he's using. Uh, Nikki was stringing it, so I can have some confirmation of that. Cool. So yeah, um, I, I am actually quite quite curious of your opinion over what I was saying about Dennis. And, and you reckon that he can actually nick one or two? Yeah, I, I think you you're spot on there. I think this is an interesting take because you have that also on, on the on the women's tour. Like you see players that have a, a hot streak week, uh, and they 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 have that maybe once or twice in their career, and they win a slam. We saw like some hot streaks from Vavrinka, but he couldn't really keep up the consistent level. Like it, it's it's a big match player, and I think Chapo can also be a big match player. Like he has this natural talent and power, but. He has an issue, uh, maybe mentally, maybe there's something else. Maybe he's just not like consistent enough. I think he's a slam winner at least once, you know, and then maybe we'll see if he can do it more times uh, and like a bit of a Vavrinka style. 
Felix is hard to say, like, how many slams can he win? He should win slams, but how many, you know? And, and with guys like Alcaraz and Rune and other youngsters coming. Obviously, Felix is a lot more consistent than Dennis, isn't he? I mean, like, you know, you can just look at the results. Felix is now top 10 player. Dennis was close to getting in the top 10. Maybe he was like ninth, eighth. So I think he was actually once in the top 10. Maybe he broke it. Maybe he didn't. I'm, I'm not 100% sure now. But um, he has an unbelievable skill set, uh, Dennis, and also Felix. But I, I, I feel like Dennis has a better skill set than Felix. But Felix is a more consistent player. And it's really important to be more consistent in tennis because if you look at Djokovic, for example, he's the most consistent consistent player ever. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's 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 a strange one. I think this will definitely help Dennis as well. Although I don't, I still don't think he had much to do with with uh, winning the Davis Cup. It was it was a lot more um, Felix than Dennis because Dennis was was like dropping. Like he he lost to Sonago. And I even texted you, like, come on, yeah. don't lose to Sonigo. Um, you know, look, Sonigo is a is a really good player. When he's he beat Djokovic when Djokovic was was really on on point. And um, you know, he he can actually play, but you know, I don't really think Sonigo has the weapons to to be better than a top 20 player. He definitely doesn't have uh, weapons to be a top 10 player. So if you think about it and and I know tennis is not about like you know just just points and just strokes and all that. There's there's a, a whole lot of mental game and everything going on with that. But I I do think um, in a couple of years it's going to be different. And now we're talking about Rune and Alcaraz, obviously, and they they deserve it. But we we don't really talk about Sinner at the moment because he just sort of disappeared out of um, just. Just he didn't have the best of years, if you think about it. But he had a lot going on, and and he still beat Alcaraz uh, in Wimbledon. And and to be fair, he had a really good Wimbledon. So uh, Sinner had the best chance of beating Djokovic out of all. He was two sets to love up, and then Djokovic became Djokovic again. So you know he he just sort of he just sort of went on with it. But. Um, Sinner has the game to to do everything, and and I think with a really good off season, he can have a really good chance of of making it far uh, in the Aussie. I don't think he has a chance to win it. There's just too much competition. Uh, Djokovic has a a, um, a point to prove, so I think we're going to talk about it anyway when we get closer to it. Now it's going to be the off season, and I'm I'm saying every week that this is the last week of challengers, which is not true because there's going to be one next week as well, not just this week, but next week. So I'm just going to shut up about it and never <laughs> going to mention challengers again. Uh, but but there, there has been quite interesting results. Uh, you know, like Ben Shelton now is in the like well in the top hundred. Fucevic is in the top ninety now. So so it's it's worth to play challengers. And next year it's going to be even better uh, in terms of the prize monies and everything. So it's 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 a great season coming up. But I it's it's just hard because I think it's the last year when we're going to see Rafa and Novak dominating. I've heard some guys who were saying that yeah, Novak will be there for the next five years. But come on, he's thirty five. So He's he's he cannot be here for that long. Like, look, there's nature for us. I mean, obviously, we've got a Tom Brady in, in American football who's like 46 and he's still going strong and and he's still great. And and Djokovic has every right to 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 be there. But once Nadal is gone, I don't know how much motivation he will have. 
Yeah, I think it's 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 strange that he would play five more years. I I think it's not only motivation, but it's I think the youngsters. I think as soon as you start losing some tight matches to young guns, I think it's gonna be tough mentally to keep going and keep pushing. I mean, at some point they they're gonna catch up and overtake you. So I think this is what we're gonna see. Maybe not, I mean not. I mean, looking at Djokovic and how well he played at the ATP Finals. It's not going to be next year that he feels like he has no chance, but I think in two years, I would say 2024, 25 at most, then then he's he's going to feel like, okay, I'm, I'm done. You know, this is it. I don't think he's going to go to 40. I don't think Nadal is going to go to 40 either, right? He's one year older than, than Djokovic, but um, I, it, would be, it would be very surprising to me if they, they kept going over and over again and winning slams in, in the, in, you know, towards the 40s. I, I think it would be strange. And, and in a way, everyone keeps talking about it, that Djokovic just came back and he won. But if you think about it, that he literally played just four months in the season. So, you know, it, yes, it is bad because he wasn't really that, like, he knows how to prepare for big matches, right? So, I like, he has been there for 15 years playing the highest level of tennis. So, you know, you, you cannot really say, uh, yeah, but look at him. He's, you know, he's he's like... Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, he just crushed everyone. Yeah, but he just played half a season. So there's there's obviously a point to prove now for Djokovic that he will go down under. Um, he will possibly win it. I would, if if I would have to choose someone to win the Aussie Open, I would choose Djokovic. But I think he will have stern tests. And he's quite lucky that Rune is now top 10. Because Rina will only just be uh, available in the last state, or you know, we'll see when. Uh, but but yeah, so so I wouldn't definitely be like Sinner and and Rune will be pretty tricky customers in the quarters for anyone, or maybe even the last sixteen. Um, and it will be one of the last tournaments, obviously, apart from Federer, where all the big guns will be there for the. What I mean is the last twenty years and the, and you know the the big figures of the last twenty years and again obviously Federer uh, not included and it will be an interesting one and I always look forward to to the new year because I I really like the Aussie Open I think it's it's an amazing uh, tournament and you know they they just do everything they can to make it memorable and I do hope so that it will live up to expectations but why wouldn't it what do you think of of like the the whole all down under stretch and that sort of thing. I, I'm a big fan. Like I, w- I would have loved to go and you know be pressed there. I know I didn't do my duties in the Davis Cup, but uh, it would have been cool to um, to see it live. I've never been to Australia in, in you know for tennis or or for you know just vacation, and it seems like a great vibe. Uh, I think the the first stretch of the year is my favorite. Like the first half of the year in general, with like the Australian Open. And then you have these great masters in the US, you know, the springtime when you feel like things are moving towards warmer weather. And then you have the, the nice clay court start towards the French Open. Uh, so it's like the best part of the year is the first half like that that I, I really enjoy. And then obviously when you have this break that they're on now, like they, when they're not playing tennis, uh, the pros, it, it, you get more excited that it's actually going to kick off again with the, the Australian swing. And now they're doing the United Cup that we talked about before, starting yeah, yeah. 29th December. You know, that feels a bit more like exhibition stuff, but at least they're they're pushing early. So that's already this year happening. 
Uh, so it's it's gonna be um, be a pretty big big build up towards the Australian Open, and this year, as you said, we don't have this hiccup with like you know the big this scandal with Djokovic going there and you know not having a proper okay to play, and it was just a disaster for tennis and for for everyone. So I think this year feels like a more normal year, hopefully, and we can just focus on the tennis instead of drama and and COVID and stuff. The, the ATP Cup is gone, <laughs> so which which I think is a good thing because it was just like a small Davis Cup in the beginning of the year, and then we had the Davis Cup, which was changed. And and uh, we joke about it many ways, and that's why you weren't really excited to go out to watch the Davis Cup because the old format is what we like: the best of fives, the grueling four and a half hour fights over you know pretty unknown players. And like, I'm not talking about, you know, the finals, but that's, that's the beauty of the Davis Cup and they just took it away. And now the United Cup will be a pretty nice one. And I, and I do hope that it will live up to, um, to expectation, but that's, that's pretty much what I would, yeah, I, uh, I mean, I, I would love to, to go down under to, to check it out how, how that is. And, and uh, we should just, you know, maybe um, prepare um, a tennis nerd down under tour and that sort of thing mm-hmm. and do do the podcast from there so I would love to do that but hopefully we'll uh, we'll have some sponsors so please um, Australian Open if you're if you're um, listening just just uh, hook us up with two tickets but no so jokes aside um, yeah it's 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 a great swing I really like uh, spring in tennis and and I think it will be pretty amazing so what I wanted to just get back on um I know that you mentioned it before, and that was also another topic which just came up. And it's great that my friends are listening to my podcast because then they can just come up with a few topics. The broadcasting, because you you were saying that you actually like the um, the court level a lot more than than the the original the the normal sort of uh, bird's eye view of of the tennis court. So what I wanted to ask is that just just your input on on what you think can be done in broadcasting wise in tennis. Yeah, I think there could be a lot done. Like the viewing angle is extremely important. I don't think, and and I read somewhere that, you know, Federer and Rafa, they're not so excited about stats in tennis, like the overuse of statistics and these gurus who analyze every like one, two, three, the rallies are four points, is 15% of the rallies are this many points or this many shots, I mean. And all the, the, the use of stats, which is very common in American sports to make it more... I guess engaging, they want to make it entertainment. But I, I think a lot could be done with getting closer to the tennis and hopefully getting closer to the players, maybe giving a little bit more personal points of view of the players and their their like warm-ups and, and how they you know perceive a match. Uh, so there's a lot that could be done, I think, to bring more uh, engagement into tennis. Uh, I don't think cutting the scoring system is going to help a lot. Like there was a guy from um, the, the Federation... Uh, Italian guy, a lot of Italians in the in the ATP now, and uh, he was saying that like the the next gen finals was a clear indication that this is the way to go with the format. I don't agree. I don't think that you know four games and five sets is a big improvement over three sets and six games or five sets and six games, which is my favorite. I mean, I like the Grand Slam, so that that's when I really think tennis is at its best. It's in the Grand Slam format. And uh, I just think like if you can just bring more personal takes on the players, get closer to the player box, maybe talk about coaches and strategy and what they're, how they're reacting in a match, uh, whether it's on-court coaching or not, I don't really know. And then use the angles more, like have more cameras, like show how fast it is, 
don't do this lazy bird's eye view just so you see the the whole court. I think it's I, I think that's not really bringing tennis to the best light. So those are just some thoughts I have uh, that you can improve hopefully in, to make tennis more entertaining to watch. Also for the like non nerds. What what we talked about and what his idea was is uh, why don't they have like a body cam? It would be so interesting to see. Like in Formula One, you have the um, the helmet cams, and and it's and it's quite fascinating. It's um, such an interesting topic. To be fair, to um, to see on, on what could be done with tennis, it's definitely not the scoring system. I, I cannot agree. I cannot emphasize it enough uh, that I I do believe that that you're right with with uh, with the scoring system. That that actually the best of five, and again four and a half hours, grueling tennis. I've never been as much engaged as, as for example, this year's Aussie Open final, which was four hours and whatever minutes, uh, and and the same um, uh, Federer's last Grand Slam um, when, when he beat Rafa. Th- that was just absolutely unbelievable. You weren't bored, not even at the beginning of any set. Like this year's next gen and and this year's WTA finals were definitely uh, a big scandal, both for the ATP. I think because there wasn't many people watching it, not that I know of. No, I, I think there's uh, they they need to look at uh, the data they have on their viewing, and I, I think the best viewing numbers is Grand Slams, and and it's because Grand Slam is the World Championship, the World Cup in tennis, and that's five sets. I mean, that's why people love it. They know it's the biggest tournament. They know it has tradition. Tennis needs to use its tradition better instead of coming up with new funky gimmicks to make it more appealing because then you can make up other sports. I mean, you just, oh, let's make up another sport. Tennis has so much history, so much tradition, so many legends in the game. Use the history, use that and, and bring and just find other ways of portraying the game Using like body cams is a good idea. Using different camera angles, they're so it's so cheap and easy to use cameras now, and and have more engagement that way. Uh, and uh, you know, and then you have players that naturally bring more engagement, like Tiafo and Curios and these guys that are a bit, you know, more using the audience engagement, and that brings crowds as well. So I think I don't think tennis is in a bad spot, and we need to speed everything up. I think this is a little bit premature, like worries from guys like Muratoglu and those guys. They always say, hey, tennis is going to die if we don't do any changes. You know, there are millions of kids starting tennis every day. I don't see any point of like being super stressed about it. Uh, it's more about maybe finding more prize money, sponsors, what they're doing now in the Challenger Tour, making tennis more appealing also on lower levels, use people's interest in other racket sports like pickleball and paddle in Europe to bring more players to tennis to say, hey, you know, you want to get deeper into a sport like you, you're going from pickleball to tennis, transitioning into different sports. I mean, it, there's a lot of things you can do, which is not this kind of, I would say, half-assed attempt of changing a scoring system or just to speed things up. I don't think speed is the problem. I don't think people have time to watch hours of YouTube, Netflix, and all that stuff. Uh, why why not be able to watch a tennis match for one, two, three hours? You know, it, it, that's not the problem. Like, why would Netflix series that have four seasons of 12 episodes each capture more audience than like these movies people like they have time to watch they they can watch long stuff it's not it's not the problem of the the duration the problem is that they want to know and feel more engaged and have a better story so i think the the story is important like the characters and the story which is in any 
kind of storytelling thing. And, and tennis needs characters and they need good stories, which is what you get when you watch like Grand Slams because it's a five set and things happen and matches go and ebb and flow. And and yeah, I don't I don't think the, the next gen finals proved anything in terms of formats. You know, I'm I'm a bit worried. There's a lot going on with paddle. Try to 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 get these 200 to 300 players, get some limelight, do some do some videos of them. Uh, try to see how they practice, try to see where they're coming from, try to make more stars, because we, we all know the top 10 players. I don't really mind the coaching aspect, only when it's just Tsitsipas family, which, which is problematic, or Rune when he's losing his temper, or Nick when he's always like, you know, slagging off his, his camp. Uh, I, I wouldn't be, I mean, I don't know how much money I would need to, to charge Nick Kyrgios to be in his, uh, um, in his camp because what he is doing is just absolutely unreal. I mean, come on, Nick, just those are human beings. It's an interesting one about what, uh, about what can be done with the broadcasting because I think uh, broadcasting in, in general is, is so advanced and you can see it in football Although when you look at American football, there's still a lot which can be done in, in the European football. And, uh, and there's the same with tennis, like, you know, the different angles, um, you know, the, the court level cameras and, and the body cams, as we talked about. So there's, there's a lot which can be done. And, and there's, for example, a lot of guys do wear either a cap or, you know, a headband. You can just put a head, uh, like a small camera in the headband, and that would be quite cool because they wouldn't even see, but they, you would see their point of view, which would be stunning if you ask me. I mean, I, that would be so cool to just have like, you know, a few points on, on where they move and that sort of thing. And I don't really think it gives away a lot. Well, I think Muratoglu is doing really well. There's a guy called Mike James in his camp, uh, who's like the statistician of, of, uh, of the whole Muratoglu Academy. And, um, and I like the guy, I follow him on, on LinkedIn and, and, and he seems a pretty cool character and, uh, it definitely helps. Like, you know, tennis is a numbers game in a way. So if, if, if you play the patterns as, as most of, uh, you have a few videos on, on your channel where you actually talk about the patterns and what you should be doing. I mean, I wasn't brought up this way cause I, I tried to come up with, you know, now I have to massage the backhand. So I would just play the inside outs and, you know, down the lines and that sort of thing. So, so it's different for me because I wasn't brought up with the patterns. But now I absolutely understand that that's the American way of actually teaching tennis, that you have to play the patterns. And I think it's, it's, it's quite an interesting one uh, because if you read Nadal's book, he's saying that against Federer, like even if there was an unbelievably open court, he still went on his backhand. He always went on his backhand, and that's how he has a head-to-head -head with Federer, uh, which which is really really nice in terms of Nadal's view. Although when you look at it, the last I don't know we we just talked about it that the last ten matches eight was Federer, so he he actually figured out Nadal in the end, but his buddy wasn't holding up. And I just read a, a lovely lovely quote today that Navratilova, who was um, just uh, putting it out on Twitter that Nadal said that um, a piece of him died when Federer um, announced his retirement. So I think it's a, it's a really, really nice quote from Nadal. And I, you know, we, we talked about it many times that we like the, um, the honesty and the trueness of, of Rafa. And, um, and I just like it that he actually, you know, just said that out loud that like, yeah, I lost my best friend of court. <laughs> this is, 
I mean, I think Mark Lopez is is his best friend, but that's a that's the whole different thing. Yeah, I think it's also like they they've been through a lot, and it's it's been such a. I mean, he's he put it in another interview that it's not like that they're best friends, so that he just invites him to his house and and they have a five pints. I don't think maybe they have that, but they have a, a, a mutual respect and like an understanding of their lives that I don't think they can share with anyone else because they have like the goats, like they have been through so much together and they've been through it kind of as friends and as rival and as, as kind of mutually respecting each other. And I think it's a very unique relationship they have. And I think they also feel like they have some responsibility to manage tennis, to like see that tennis takes the right path forwards partly because they love the sport, but also because they feel like an obligation to, to usher the sport into, an, into a good future. You know, they, they felt like they owe so much to tennis that they want to make sure it gets the best future possible. And I think that's a nice, a nice feeling and a nice um, relationship they have. And the way I think Rafa expressed it was, was kind of poetic in a way that it's, they, they you know, had so much in common and like they felt like they were a part of each other's lives in such a strong way that now that Federer is not playing it must feel very empty for him to play you know it's it's uh it must be a bit strange and uh yeah we'll see how long he keeps I mean he was said he will he will die trying to to win more titles and more big uh big grand slams and so on so I think Rafa will see for a bit more but yeah when when um the the, the interesting thing for tennis the challenge ahead is what happens when Rafa and Novak uh, puts the rackets away you know i mean right now it looks pretty promising but who knows what will happen with the emotional situation in tennis that is uh, an interesting uh, thing to, interesting thing to think about i mean if if you sort of think about it rune's um theatrics and and how he acts on court is pretty similar to novak's i don't want to i don't want to compare them because they're two, two totally different players and i and i really like to watch rune play it's just more about his theatrics and how emotional he is and how he can lose it. Djokovic can still lose it at the age of 35. He's still shouting at his camp and saying, you know, I don't know, Idemo, like literally from the like from his from his feet up. He's just trying to get like, you know, lich I mean, I don't know how much emotion is is within that man, but I like he is a proper Serb. And Akaraz is obviously because his idol is Rafa but you can see similarities of of their demeanor and and how they are and you know the fist bumps and and you know just the looks and um I think Alcaraz is a bit more sort of outgoing on court because Rafa is is uh, like he's just only concentrating on the next point I don't really feel that with Alcaraz I feel like with Alcaraz he can just like disappear for I don't know three four games and then he just finds himself back and then he goes on and and you know his his best tennis is the best in in at the moment. I think like when he's on point, uh, he has such power. Is that like he's he's absolutely ridiculous? I think in that perspective, um, and it's yep. the same for for Rune. So I mean, Rune is is I mean you know that serve is is already unbelievable. We talked about it many ways and, and many times that tennis is in the right place, and I think it, the changing of the guards is happening finally. Because uh, we said it for ten, the last ten years, we always, when someone who was a little bit promising, we were saying, "Oh yeah, the changing of the guards is finally happening," and it wasn't. <laughs> and the guys, and and Djokovic was, uh, was joking about it as well. That yeah, there's a, a lot of nice up and coming players like uh, Holger, 
um, you know, Carlos, myself, and you know, that's sort of <laughs> thing. So it, it was it was quite funny. I mean, I you know, Djokovic is a funny guy who will be the the new guy who, who you will be absolutely excited about. Although uh, us two, as true tennis nerds, uh, minus the Davis Cup, we are really excited to watch um, Alcaraz or or Rune. I mean, I'm I'm not really excited about Sinner. I have to say, like Sinner's game is, is just is for me the whole guy. You know, his his short cap, his his massive shoes, uh, which are like this this one type which he loves in Nike. I just yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I, I was never a, a, a massive Sinner fan, although I, I rate the guy a lot. But I just, I just somehow don't really think he's. Um, I don't think he has the personality to be. Maybe he will be number one, but he won't be there for long. He might be getting a few Grand Slams, but I don't really see Sinner as as the next contender. I really don't. Yeah, I agree. I, I don't think he's he's the one. Uh, to there's too many good guys now, and uh, I think he's still a little bit one dimensional with the baseline game being very solid. But it's not it's not enough variety like in Alcaraz and even Rune's case. Both those players are are looking like the future. But who knows? Like I mean, next year. Uh, even Alcaraz might have a problematic year. You you never know in tennis. It's such a mental sport. If you start badly, you might get onto like a lull. You might get injured. We do, we always have the injuries looming and being a little bit worrisome. So it's hard to look into the crystal ball and say it's going to be like this or it's going to be like that. In general, I think tennis is in good hands. It's the most exciting it has been. I think I really look forward to next year. Although being a Fed fan, it's a bit sad that he's not playing, but I was, you know, obviously not expecting him to play anyway because last few years he's been injured. But I mean, there's so many good players to watch. Like we have these guys, Jack Draper. We have the the Alcaraz Rude, we, uh, Rune. We have Rude being a potential, Rude, yeah. yeah, a guy who can actually win titles. There's so many good players now. I, I mean, it's it's tough for me to say like previous years when I was like, okay, it's Australian Open, it's going to be Djokovic. Okay, he's still a, a strong favorite with all the titles he's won, but there is guys can beat him now. Like there are guys that can beat him. So I think it will be interesting when when things kick off. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, we we always try to to leave on a positive and and what we can say today is is uh uh it has been an exciting end of the year. I think we were a lot more engaged than what we actually thought we will. I mean, it might be it might be that we are doing this podcast. I'm not sure. I, I was I was always following um, just the weekly stuff on on who won and and if there was a good match, we we've been watching it. And now it's sort of a it's sort of a more than a hobby what we do. So yeah, I I, I do get it. But I think now the off season is 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 almost uh, is almost up. Funnily enough, because in a few weeks they're gonna be uh, heading down down under, and and there's gonna be amazing tournaments coming up. So so there's gonna be like two three weeks off season, and then they're off. So uh, so it's gonna be interesting, and and uh, yeah, uh, hopefully uh, a lot of people will will keep on playing tennis and keep listening to this podcast because we're trying to keep oh, yeah, uh, more you know, more. our eyes on it. Thanks thanks Dennis. Uh, you get well now. You have a little bit of a cold, but it's not not bad. And um, and hopefully your paddle rackets arrive. They won't, but that's DPD's fault. So it's <laughs> okay. a whole different thing. Shout but out! Thank you for listening, and um, and have a good beer, one. Thank you. Ciao, ciao, guys.